0: How does the Beatles' first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, as well as the Rolling Stones' first U.S. performance at the Swing Auditorium in Southern California, relate to the Walkman, the iPod, and music as we know it today? Find out about all this and more on Full Circle Analog, the podcast hosted by Brad Blue, the man who, like many, was there through it all, the first and second British invasion, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, and so, so many more. As well as sometimes me Alec blue his son and fellow lover of music who comes on to provide a more modern perspective as well as learn about the past well hello there dear friends and welcome to the final podcast of 2019 being the final podcast of 2019 means it's the final podcast of the decade Kind of blows my mind when you look at 10 years pass right before your eyes. I remember it wasn't that long ago when we were worried about Y2K and we were moving from 1999 to 2000. Now my son is 22 years old and he... Works with me on this podcast, and uh, we have so much fun looking at my time growing up. He sees it through my lens, plus he likes a lot of that music, plus he loves his own music and has his own drummer, but kind of nostalgic today as we celebrate the last week of 2019 and the last week of the decade from 2010 and as we start a new one 2020 in just a few days so in honor of this past decade impossible to cover a decade it's almost impossible to cover 2019 as this turned out to be quite a year for nostalgia if you were a boomer born in the 50s, or 40s for that matter, specifically. We started off in August, and we talked about it on our podcast. Then was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, and we learned quite a few things uh, about it, from how it came to be one of the engineers on the Actual release, a re-release of Woodstock, the audio portion from engineer Andy Zacks was quite fascinating. Um, I learned interesting factoids about, you know, how they recorded it, um, how they came, how it came to Andy in the first place from... Uh, being buried in Warner Brothers archives, to that warehouse being uh, sold, to the t- original recordings coming out to Warner Brothers in Los Angeles and uncreated, and the discovery that all or almost all of the recordings were intact. And that led to between the 40th and 50th anniversaries to try to restore or find the missing either vocal or instrument or song altogether from Ravi Shankar's manager, taking the original tapes somehow, and they still don't know where they are. Fortunately, uh, When they recorded it, a guy who was just starting his career in sound um, recorded it with a mono mic to cover everything, then individual mics to cover the instruments and vocals as best they could. Some groups obviously had lots of musicians on stage. Uh, We learned why certain songs were not included, on Woodstock, either the artist didn't like the way it sounded, or management, contractual issues prevented it, or, in some cases, uh, audio was missing. In the case of Arlo Guthrie, his microphone, uh, both the mono mi- uh, they had his mono mic, but his microphone did not, his microphone to the truck did not work so actually we learned that coming into los angeles off the original album woodstock was actually recorded in a club in new york but put on the album anyway um we learned that there were had sophisticated lighting that they were going to put up but they didn't have time because we learned that the original location was canceled the came upon Max Yasger, who was all for doing it. and uh, But they didn't have time to erect a proper fence, put up the lighting. Uh, they didn't even have announcers originally. And uh, that's where Chip Monk became the one of the official announcers. He actually was the lighting guy. But because the lighting wasn't going to be put up, he didn't really have anything to do. And he had a pretty cool DJ voice, as you know, from listening to the Woodstock announcements. Um, He ended up in that role kind of by accident. I mean, to talk because, you know, Woodstock had between three and four hundred thousand people there. Well, to try to narrow it into a concise discussion is really hard. But what came of the 50th anniversary was a release of the entire concert. From start to finish, it covered 38 CDs. You could have bought it, but its first pressing sold out. They sold an interesting 1969 1969 copies of it. A radio station on the East Coast in Philadelphia uh, was given the... uh, gift of playing it in real time as it occurred 50 years ago and we posted about it Uh, and if you listen to any of it you got to hear things you never heard before and will probably never hear again most of us like me got the 10 disc set which has a sampling of everybody who played there so at least you get that and a few sets in there Uh, Groups like Credence that weren't on the original, Blood, Sweat, and Tears that weren't on the original, we learned much more detail about Woodstock. Well, right after Woodstock came the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road, which, of course, as it followed suit with releases of the White Album and Sgt. Pepper before that, came in different packages. One package came with a booklet in it uh, with a foreword by um, George Martin, Giles Martin, I think, or Paul McCartney even, And uh, but photographs that have never been seen before. We'll see if Santa brings that to me this year. Um, we could go on and on about Sergeant Pepper, but you learn a lot of things by listening to the ultimate set, which had all the outtakes of Abbey Road, if you can imagine. Um, Why listen to these uh, remakes? Is it just for money? Uh, Is there any artistic merit to it? Well, that's a good question, but uh, I'm of the opinion that if you're an audiophile or you're a music knucklehead, like a lot of us, um, you want to hear as much as you can. You know, we got a glimpse of it during the Beatles anthology, which was kind of a look back. And then there were three of them living. George was still with us. And uh, they released three audio anthologies. Back then it was, I think, on vinyl or cassette tape. Uh, you got to hear early Beatles you know, Cavern Club before the Beatlemania hit, you got to hear their middle albums. And then the last anthology was their last few albums. And it was songs that, there were songs we all know and love, but rough cuts, or the one just before the one that they released. And you can see the progression of how they worked in the studio. Well, these remasters take that to a whole other level. And so if you're into that, then these anniversary editions are cool. If not, I know so far I only have the Sgt. Pepper uh, 50th anniversary record, and it's amazing. It's the same, and yet there's these subtle little differences. And uh, I'm glad I have it. The final 50th anniversary that we looked at in 2019 was the... (laughs) The uh, Irreverent Monty Python. The very first Monty Python flying circus was on October 5th, 1969. And I don't know about you, but besides the Beatles, I think Monty Python was the most important thing that happened in my growing up. Uh, Comedy was just as strong a force as music was and political, especially as we moved into the 70s and Watergate became such a terrible uh, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Um, What our country went through in the 60s and then moving into, you know, getting the Vietnam War, getting out of there, and then having Watergate happen. So we had three fiftieths we started with the woodstock and then we moved to the Beatles, then we moved to monty python and today with the internet you can enjoy so many things that we didn't have when we were younger to reimagine enjoy things or you can pay money and buy these packages i personally have the 10 disc woodstock set I uh, have the Sgt. Pepper remastered, but I don't have Abbey Road or the White Album. Uh, I hope to have those someday. So um, we covered 50th anniversaries in our podcasts uh, this season. Our, our, our introductory move from our business, Old Days, New Ways, To celebrating the music and art and times of the 1960s and 70s Um, besides the 50th anniversaries we also there was an anniversary for live aid and live aid was a truly amazing event that occurred in 1985 and two cons two stages uh, every band who was played in these events to raise money for Ethiopian famine, and uh, Bob Geldof of the Boomtown Rats organized it. It kind of was an offshoot of, believe it or not, a Boy George and um, conversations about you know we are the world and how much money that made, and then the, a consciousness about rock music could be uh, a driving force for good uh, in, in charitable work. You know, of course, we had George Harrison in the concert for Bangladesh. uh, uh, Live Aid has been our most listened to podcast so far. So if you haven't heard it yet, check it out. Um, So Live Aid, the 50th anniversaries. Um, We um, had one podcast that my son Alec hosted. Um, If you're like me all these Marvel comic movies that come out seem like they're just pumped out to make a buck to my generation. But to my son's generation, they're all part of a strategic plan that is trying to make sense of all these running themes in the various movies. They're actually all connected. I'm not going to try to explain it. But go back and listen to our podcast about what is a superhero and you will hear my son Alec explain it in very interesting and fascinating and articulate ways. It's much, much more than just Hollywood making a buck as I saw it. Um, First of all, I guess you have to love action heroes. Uh, One gripe we have going to movies today is everything is special effects and, you know... I, my question I posed to my son with these superheroes is how does a superhero actually die? You know, that's a whole story in itself because they seem all invincible. So that was another big theme that we covered. I wanted to touch on it because it's part of our modern culture. It goes back to, you know, remember in the days when you got a comic book subscription? How fun that was? That was one of the first subscriptions we ever got as kids, getting uh, cartoon comics in uh, the mail. It was a big deal. So you might want to go back and check that one earlier in the year we did that one with my son Alec. It's fascinating. Um, We also interviewed uh, several of our clients. As you know, our primary business is digitizing old technology specifically family memories audio video and photo from eight millimeter reels through the camcorder era to the early digital crossover era in video Uh, the mini discs the mini dv tapes to old photographs old negatives 35 millimeter slides prints Um, audio recordings were very big the original not so instant messenger when we would record, when they miniaturized reel-to-reel tape decks where you could record anything and uh, on little three-inch reels and you could send them. If you were recently married, had your first child back then, you could send a a recording of your son or daughter to grandma and grandpa so they could hear because we all lived so far away and we didn't have the internet back then, obviously. And so really audio tape became the original instant messenger I mean slideshows so many terms come from analog like slideshow slideshow was 35 millimeter slides that we watched in a carousel of a hundred and so at a time and whoever you know the family would talk about their memories as they would look at each picture so over the years we have had several clients who are musicians themselves, or singers, or players, whatever you want to call them, and some I have become friends with, some I have been acquainted with, um, and we've had them on our show, of course, to promote them. None of them are paid musicians per se. They do it for the love of it, and and to remember when they grew up, play a lot of songs from the 60s and 70s, so a lot of our podcasts uh, had musicians. We had our friends Scott and Steve, uh, my client Mary Murphy, uh, client and friend Michael Tallor, who is in a group called the Neverlees, you, if you're on Facebook and follow us, you have crossed paths with Michael. Um, these friends and acquaintances of ours either play an open mic night or are actually asked to play at certain events or are up in the mountains playing at various locations <laughs> Where we live here in the Inland Empire, we are blessed to have uh, Apple Country up in the foothills behind us just a few minutes away and then Big Bear, uh, Big Bear Lake, uh, which is probably pretty much frozen over at this point. Um, We've had a lot of snow recently, but we have a lot of clients who are into music. So, you can listen into our podcasts with these individuals. They're quite easy to find. And you can actually hear them play um, as well as talk to us. Um, the next group that we had in our podcast this year were uh, people that I call music experts. Uh, I have a friend, Tom who has been a client I originally met Tom many years ago when we talked about music and transferring some audio projects for him Um, Tom is unique that he is a vinyl enthusiast before vinyl made a resurgence um, he would look for rare pressings rare releases this is before Record Store Day came into existence as an event. And Tom knows more about '60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s music than most of us do who lived then. Tom was born after all this and he has some quite interesting stories to tell. We've had one interview, and I expect to have Tom back here after the first of the year to pick up the conversation because Tom is fascinating. Also, my friend George Sardison, um, who's been on the music committee here in town, uh, he saw the Beatles at Hollywood Bowl, many other amazing concerts, he was old enough to drive and his then girlfriend and now wife went to all these concerts and today he is an expert i think on tribute bands because he's seen them all and also you know bands he comes to me once in a while and asks me about who was this band who was that band what were their hits uh, do, are they any good what, what do you think and George was on a panel to uh, decide that stuff for our city festivals. So as you can see, we've had a wide range of music-related folks. Um, And then uh, also I like to talk about all kinds of things related to uh, music in uh, the 60s and 70s, whether it's an individual album, this day in history, um, things like that. Which brings us to um, the end of our podcast. Um, You see this on the internet, especially after Christmas Day, um, on TV shows, uh, in memoriam. And it's getting harder and harder for us older folks to start seeing our rock and roll heroes die. And... Starting in 2016, where we lost a slew of them, including a lot of my favorites, it was really a rough year for me personally, uh, health-wise. And then to see the various folks from David Bowie to Keith Emerson to Greg Lake. I mean, the list is huge of those in the rock, pop, folk um uh, genre that we lost that year and every year of course is starting to increase um, and in 2019 not only musically but culturally, I just like to list a few that make me look back and celebrate the gifts that they brought to us either musically or c- comedy wise or whatever way it was um recently we lost rick ocasek of the cars and uh, they were a very interesting band that came along with their quirky sound and uh without analyzing it too much we like to tip our cap to rick ocasek there's uh, three songs on their first album that's kind of a trio at the end of one side that I think is stands up to any other band's music ever. You know, it's a, songs like "Just What I Needed," all mixed up, all messed up, mixed up. And there's a a trio of songs there that I really took notice of. They had a lot of great songs. Um, Carol Spinney, who uh, was uh, the puppeteer on Sesame Street and the Muppets, particularly the Cookie Monster. Um, You know, what can you say about Jim Henson and Frank Oz and all the other originals who were the heart and soul of these Muppets? I mean, the Muppets are just as Americana as anything else. Uh, In the acting world, you know, we lose... Quite a few actors every year, but one that stands out to me because he starred in one of the most iconic films we grew up with, Bonnie and Clyde, the actor Michael J. Pollard. We lost him this year. The Marlboro Man, the guy in those iconic cigarette commercials with that song. <laughs> Robert Norris was his name, the Marlborough Man. Of course, in the higher echelon of things, we lost Ginger Baker, perhaps one of the greatest drummers of all time. He's certainly been given that by those that have paid tribute to him. And of course, he was in the group Cream, that iconic group with Jack Bruce and Eric Clapton. Truly an amazing drummer with quite the personality. In the sports world, one that I, I it hurts me because I grew up with sports too, and these iconic announcers that we've lost over the years. Um, a few years ago, we lost Pat Summerall, and you know, we keep losing them. And this year, we lost Jack Whitaker on CBS Sports, who was another one of those voices that you always recognized, and respected what he had to say very fair, uh, very professional. Back in the day where these guys were reporters who became announcers. They weren't athletes who became announcers. They were trained in the biz, if you will. We lost Peter Fonda this year, which is a tough one when you think of Easy Rider. And then all these years later, he starred in a movie with, with my son's youth Thomas the Tank Engine um The Magic Railroad Peter Fonda starred and it was kind of a I mean kind of a throwaway movie but it was kind of fun that Peter Fonda was in it of course we think of him with Easy Rider um very iconic who their father was Henry Fonda that we know very well um Harold Prince, the director, um, Broadway. We, he directed West Side Story and Phantom. Uh, we lost him this year. And even, is it, I believe it's Rousie Taylor. She was the voice of Minnie Mouse. We lost her this year. <laughs> what a thing to be known for. And, of course, in the rock world, we lost Dr. John, too. So we wanted to pay a little bit of tribute to those that we had lost. We also, in the world of sports, lost Bart Starr. During the golden years of the Green Bay Packers and Vince Lombardi, Bart Starr we lost this year. Bill Buckner, who was dear to Angelino's hearts when he played with the Dodgers. And he's had, I don't know, a love-hate relationship with the Red Sox ever since he had that ground ball go between his legs and it cost the Red Sox the World Series or the playoffs. But Bill Buckner, as a career hitter, was right there at the top. We lost Bill Buckner this year in basketball. I mean, one of the nemesis being growing up in Southern California and having the privilege of going and seeing the Lakers play way back when with Jerry West as a player, Elgin Baylor, and then, of course, Chamberlain came along. Um, One of their nemesis was the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics were dominant like the UCLA Bruins were with John Wooden back then. And uh, we lost John Havlicek, one of the great basketball players of all time. Part of that Boston shuffle, part of that Boston weave, it was called. And uh, a great ball handler, great unselfish player. No matter whether he was the enemy or not, you had to respect John Havlicek. He was a true gentleman on and off the court and uh, respected him. I respected all the Celtic greats, but... A lot of them were hard to like, <laughs> but John Havlicek was a class act. So that covers our In Memoriam. Um, this coming year, already we have two amazing miracles that happen as we look ahead to 2020. In just one week alone, we heard that in the music world, John Frusciante who used to be the guitarist of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, left, I can't believe this, 10 years ago, came back to the group. And so their next release will include John on guitar. And I think critics and most fans agree that their best music was produced when John was in the band. So we have that to look forward to in 2020. And I believe the first concert that John is going to play at is in the spring at one of those festivals so that's upcoming and then out of the blue it was alluded to in september on a post uh, on the far side cartoon comic gary larson who if you grew up back then you know the far side comic it started that goofball existential uh philosophical one frame cartoon using anything from barnyard animals to insects to get Gary's philosophical slant on life through and it was a huge hit and he did it for many years and he retired quite some time ago and uh, you know his cartoons have shown up in bootleg fashion on social media which I guess he wasn't too happy about. And so, whatever, for a combination of reasons, starting December 21st, which was just a couple days ago, The Far Side is back. He was jokingly calling it The Far Sight, as we are in the internet age. But The Far Side is back. And if you haven't looked, just go to thefarside.com. And there's about four either cartoons from the past, and he's going to interject some new ones to comment on today because a lot has happened since Gary Larson's Far Side cartoon strip went silent. So, those are two major Christmas presents that boomers got in just the last couple weeks alone. So, there's some uh, in this politically divisive world we live in and in, in our country America. We need something we can laugh at. And um, those are two things. Uh, Farside and uh, John Frusciante rejoining the Red Hot Chili Peppers are something to look forward to. We hope you uh, continue to listen to us, follow us, both our Facebook feed, Old Days New Ways on Facebook, as we Post what I think are interesting things. We have quite a large following and we love it. And then we just started this podcast and we definitely like you to support the podcast. Full circle analog. So I just wanted to have a brief year in review. This is Brad. Also want to mention my son Alec. Who is a lot of times behind the scenes but a main force of, behind the podcast as well. Wishing you a very merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next year. Actually, we'll hear you next year. Alrighty, everybody. That's it for the year. We hope you had an awesome year, and we're looking forward to seeing you in 2020 and beyond. Have a happy holidays and end of the year, everybody.